Hey, Troy. Yes, Scott. I'm going to start over. (laughs) (laughs) And we're off to a terrible start. It's amazing. Two words and I screwed it up. (laughs) And we're done. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Well, I mean, Troy, uh, Mitch was telling me about something called super gonorrhea. Have you heard about this? Well, I, I don't. Okay. I will say, yes, I have. I, I don't know that I've heard it called super gonorrhea. That's maybe more of a, you know, just a term that's come up elsewhere, but I am aware of a resistant gonorrhea that's requiring higher doses of antibiotics. So yeah. So in that sense, I have heard of super gonorrhea. Yes. Uh, Mitch, I like the way Troy described it better. Resistant as opposed to super, super gonorrhea. <laughs> yeah. No, it is not scary enough. It needs to be scarier if we're going to make it, it stop happening. Uh, okay. Well, super gonorrhea. Yes, I have super heard gonorrhea. of it. I have heard of it. On this show, we talk about all things related to men's overall well-being, but we have never talked about sexually transmitted diseases, which in light of a thing called super gonorrhea, perhaps we should. So, (laughs) you know, uh, everywhere from your head to, well, you know, we talk about men's health. And today it's STD, sexually transmitted diseases, the symptoms, potentially gnarly long-term effects, and most importantly, why it's important to prevent them. Welcome to Who Cares About Men's Health, where we aim to give you some information, inspiration, and perhaps a different interpretation about men's health. My name is Scott. I bring the BS, and I guess I'm lucky because, you know, everything I know about STDs, I think I could summarize in one sentence, and I've never had one. <laughs> oh, okay. Would you admit if you had, Scott? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what that one sentence is coming up. The MD to my BS, Dr. Troy Madsen, what do you know about STDs? I'd imagine being a doctor, you'd know more than me. I have I have seen a lot of STDs. Yes, I have seen many, many STDs over the course of my career. I will say, I, you know, I just haven't seen a lot lately for whatever reason. Hmm. It's just probably luck of the draw, but lots of STDs. Mitch Sear is always bringing his unique perspective to the show. What do you know about STDs? Uh, quite a bit, actually. I took um, a bunch of sexual uh, diversity and psychology and uh, physiology courses in my undergrad. Wow. And so I've seen a lot of pictures, and uh, I also have never had one. <laughs> okay. Was I supposed to say that too, guys? Was I supposed to say I've never had one? Is that part of this? No. <laughs> Dr. John Smith, urologist at University of Utah Health, a guy that hopefully knows a lot about STDs, and that's why he is here. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I see them quite a bit. I probably don't know as much as Mitch if he took multiple courses. Right. I think in medical school, we get one or two PowerPoints. Sure. So that's <laughs> yeah. probably a trump card for Mitch. Uh, yeah. Hey, so Dr. Smith, is it usually the urologist that you would go to if you suspect you have an STD or where would you end up? I think there's a, a list of places people go. We see quite a few of them. I think primary care sees them, urgent care sees them. And, uh, you know, across the board, I think that there's there's a myriad of places to go. All right. Is there a b- better place to go than others if you suspect you have one? I think you go to the closest place you think you can get the best treatment. That's where I would head. Okay. All right. And I have not had one either. So I think we need to put that in there. (laughs) Good. I'm glad you you clarified. Your your silence was really making me curious, John. Uh, Dr. Smith, why is this topic so important to men? Why is this a big deal? Why is this an episode that men should listen to? Well, I mean, it can have long-term effects uh, to your health if they go untreated, especially some sexually transmitted diseases like syphilis that can um, kind of worsen over time. It can also affect your your partners, your sexual partners, um, and have long-term consequences there uh, as far as fertility goes um, and just other overall 
undesirable side effects. And those serious side effects aside, I mean, if you or your partner have one, then that kind of changes the dynamic uh, of sex in the relationship. Absolutely. Especially sexually transmitted diseases that are not able to be treated, but you just, well, you treat them, but the ones that can reoccur, um, you know, certain ones you can treat and then they're gone and you don't have to worry about them within your relationship, but others uh, do become long-term as far as, you know, monitoring uh, sexual practices. If you have, uh, you know, something like herpes, it's going to come and go and uh, you're going to have to watch that the rest of your relationship. So I um, didn't know. Now, all of us said we've never had STDs, but I have to admit, I've never been checked for one. <gasps> what? <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. The guy who's read multiple books is completely, <sighs> completely concerned about that. I mean, okay. I, guess I, I guess I just assumed that I would know because I've never had symptoms, right? Like I've never had any issues. Is is that wrong? If you're talking to Mitch, I would wait for Mitch to answer, but <laughs> I can answer, I can answer like, that. I don't want to talk over the dog. Answer that <laughs> I think I know how Mitch feels by his yeah. gasp and his, you know, how, how offended he sounded. Uh, so I'm looking for you, John. Okay. I just, I did not, I mean, Mitch has probably read more books. It sounds like in the courses that he's taken, but you can definitely be asymptomatic uh, with chlamydia. Um, and then, you know, gonorrhea tends to be more symptomatic in men and women tend to be uh, asymptomatic. So you may not know. All right. So is it something that men should do? Like get checked? I think yes, especially if you've had uh, new partners uh, or you're unfamiliar with your partner's sexual history. I think it's a smart thing to do. I've had a few gentlemen say, well, my wife got checked when she was pregnant, so I'm sure I'm good. Um, I don't know that that's a good scapegoat. Um, I think that uh, you should you should look to be proactive and uh, and take uh, good care of your sexual health. Hey, uh, Troy, have you ever been checked? Have you ever had tests for it? Uh, I've been tested for HIV. I believe it's yeah. part of just routine health maintenance recommended because it, it showed up on my chart like you're due. You haven't had an HIV test or something. And my, I saw my primary care doc, and I think that was just one of the tests he sent. So you may have been checked. I don't know. You, you may or may not know, but I, I guess you would know if you had been checked for HIV. But yeah. but it's, uh, it is one of those things that is recommended just as part of your routine checkups. Mitch, obviously you've been checked. How, do, you, do you do it often? Oh, yeah, regularly. There's um, a medication that I'm on that uh, to get my prescription re-upped, I have to get tested every three months, three to six months. So I'm getting tested pretty regularly. But it's for me, it's always been that way. Like, it's always been really important. I don't know if it's, you know, the communities I'm part of, the cultures, the spooky, terrible pictures I've seen in books. Like, I, I take this stuff pretty seriously. And, I'm, you know, it's, it's worthwhile to get checked. I'm curious, so Mitch, are they ask, are are you talking about HIV testing, or are they doing gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis? What kind of testing are they doing? They swab everything. You know, they okay. They do this, so you, they, yeah, yeah. They're actually every, getting the swab, like they're mm -hmm. doing a urethral swab. They're not they're not nice and just letting you do a dirty urine test. And then some, yeah. No, it's okay. every yeah. It's yeah. not my favorite thing in the world, but you know, I yeah. have a pretty solid peace of mind. So sure, yeah, yeah that's great. And you're not currently in a relationship, whereas Troy and I are both, you know, have yeah. been married for many, many years. Um, John, should Troy and I consider getting tested for those other things? I think I was tested for HIV because I think that's just something the healthcare systems are doing now. But should I consider getting those other tests? That is a good question. I think if you and your partner are both feel that you're pretty honest with each other and monogamous, 
Um, and they're, you know, depending on your sexual history in the past, it may or may not be a good idea to do it. Um, if, you know, if, if that's the only partner you've ever been with and they're the only partner you've ever been with, the likelihood you have a sexually transmitted infection is very, very low. However, if, you know, you had multiple partners before, uh, you know, you settled down and got married and, uh, you never got tested for it, uh, you know, it may be a good idea to do so. I would kind of leave that up to the discretion of you and your partner, uh, you know, after having a discussion and, and based on your sexual history. I would think though, after 20 years of being married that like it, it, too late now at this point, right? <laughs> well, I, I mean, you could say that. Yes. Um, <laughs> But also, you know, I mean, some people do, like I, I mentioned earlier, I've had people come in and say, well, my wife got tested when when she was pregnant uh, for sexually transmitted infections. And I mean, there is some, you could say there is some validity to that if you're in a monogamous relationship and have been for quite some time that your partner being negative for, you know, an STD makes, makes it that you're a lot less likely to have one. Um, again, it's probably not the most necessary thing for you to do in your relationship if you've been together for 20 years. Um, however, if you, there's any doubts uh, or any concerns, you can always get tested. And is there a panel that kind of tests for all of them or do you test just for particular ones? So usually when, when people come in, um, you know, depending on their sexual history, um, usually you'll check for gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, HIV. Uh, those are the main ones and that there's anything specific, uh, that, you know, they have concerns about, but that's, I mean, that's pretty much the, the extent of most of the panels that, uh, that will get run. Are those the major ones that we need to know about? I mean, you know, as men, do we need to know about all the different types of sexual diseases or is there kind of some commonalities that we should be aware of? Which, how, how involved do we have to get in our knowledge of this? Do we, do we have <laughs> yeah. to have a Mitch level or a Scott level? <laughs> I have some disturbing photos that I can post in the chat if we need to. <laughs> but I mean, do we have to, does each guy have to have a vast knowledge of all the different diseases out there? No, I don't, I don't think it's necessary for you to go read Mitch's books, but if Mitch wants to post them in the chat of good books to read, I mean, I think it's appropriate. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the major diseases that are out there are chlamydia is the most common sexually transmitted disease in the United States, followed by gonorrhea, um, and then, uh, syphilis. Um, you know, HIV and other diseases are much further down the list, but those are the main ones that you need to be aware of and concerned about at this point. Um, the reason that chlamydia is so prevalent is, is it's, it's one of those that oftentimes goes undetected um, until someone is symptomatic and then goes and gets tested. And then their other sexual partners, you know, should be tested and treated as well. Um, and like I said earlier, gonorrhea is one of those where it's often asymptomatic uh, in women and uh, men tend to be symptomatic. Um, it's got the, uh, the old nickname of the clap because you tended, men tended to uh, have urethral discharge that would, uh, dry over the, uh, the meatus of the penis and they would end up clapping the head of their penis to break free that, uh, oh, that yeah. discharge. Yeah. That's um, where the name comes from. Uh -huh. <laughs> I didn't learn that in my books. I love that. <laughs> my favorite part of that whole thing was Troy. Huh? <laughs> I had no idea. I had not learned that. Yeah. Huh, so, okay. Yeah. That's the, uh, well, th that's what, uh, one of the uh, folklore that's going to be out there, and I think it's pretty prevalent. People also called it the drip because uh, you would have a urethral discharge, <laughs> sure. which I think, you know, nowadays drip has taken on a new meaning for the kids. So uh, out of those, um, are, are the symptoms all kind of similar for sexually transmitted diseases across the board? I mean, are there just kind of some symptoms you want to look for and then worry about what it is you've got afterwards or are they really different? 
I mean, they are different. Uh, different diseases have different symptomology, but oftentimes there's urinary symptoms involved um, throughout. Um, burning with urination, uh, frequency, urgency. Sometimes you'll develop a kind of a lesion or a, a skin breakdown on the outside of of the penis in a male uh, or the external uh, vagina of a female um, that you would notice that would be abnormal, especially um, given the circumstances. I will say too, John, one thing I've seen in the emergency department that's not uncommon is people come in with testicular pain and swelling. And in those cases, not always, but sometimes it is related to an STD where it works its way down and then it causes epididymal orchitis where it yeah. affects the testicle. And mm -hmm. and that's when I often see them is when it really becomes an issue for them and they're having a lot of pain and, and just say, I've got to get this checked out. Yeah, that and prostatitis uh, in younger men as well who um, are sexually active. That's uh, another concern um, that we'll we'll test them for. Could you have an STD then and have no visible symptoms, but have the other symptoms like Troy mentioned, or yeah, that you mentioned this need to go? Yeah, I mean, sometimes people come in and they're like, I, I don't know, um, and so getting a good sexual history when folks come into my office can be helpful. Um, if you're not sexually active, then I probably am not going to go searching for a sexually transmitted infection. But if you've had multiple partners, um, you know in the last 12 months or the last six months or, or whatnot, then it's probably a, a higher probability that we're looking for something um, that may be problematic. Yeah. And I agree. I, I think in my experience, in the cases I've seen people come in with that testicular pain and swelling or pain at the top part of the testicle on the epididymis, it seems like most of the time they don't tell me they've really had a lot of discharge from their penis or anything really abnormal. So it, it does seem like it's not unusual for someone, maybe that's like the really the first symptom they really notice is that testicular pain or like John mentioned, prostatitis where they're having a lot of pain with urination and, you know, and, and their prostate swollen, they're having difficulty urinating, those kind of things. All right. So, guys, I feel like we should have a drum roll because now Scott is going to reveal his one sentence. <laughs> the depth of his sexually transmitted disease knowledge is one sentence. And I want to find out if this is true. And, and maybe this is the takeaway. I don't know. All right, Dr. Smith, this is what I know about sexually transmitted diseases. Wear a condom. You're going to be good. Oh, boy, Mitch again. I'm going to let Mitch take this one because I feel like no, well, he now, is well qualified to answer this question. <laughs> well, a condom is a big part of it. But, I mean, there's there's other like sexual behaviors, interactions, et cetera, that if there are single dudes out there that think that that is, like, the only thing that they need to be doing, like, it goes a long way as far as I, I've read and in my research. But... You know, there's other things like having a healthy discourse and being regularly tested between partners and things like there's 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 more than that. But I think if you're looking for baseline, most effective from what I've read, condoms where it's at. Yeah, condoms are great. Uh, they're effective at uh, blunting the transmission of sexually transmitted diseases. Um, you also have to you know keep in mind that they're um, are other things that people can do sexually where, you know, you can transmit diseases. Um, a la Michael Douglas. A la Michael Douglas. Hey, are we talking oral sex? Is that what we're? Uh, yeah. Okay. There we are. Okay. Those are are things to keep in mind as well because a lot of times, uh, you know, people think that oh, I, I put on a condom, I'm good. I'm not. I'm not in. You know, in a position to get an infection. Um, oral sex with an oral lesion, uh, like an oral herpes lesion, like a cold sore. You know, you can. You can put that right onto the genitals. Um, oh, really? You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought it was um, a different kind of herpes. No, well, it used to be predominantly that 
you know, type one, type two were genitals and then oral. And now it's pretty much 50, 50 because of oral sex, um, being prevalent. Okay. Um, and so those are things to keep in mind that, you know, some people may not know or may not understand that, you know, you've got to be careful with those things. Um, if your partner had a lesion on their genitals and, uh, and then you had oral sex, you could put that lesion on your mouth. Um, those types of things where, you know, you've got to be careful all around. And like Mitch said, you know, you've got to be careful and you've got to have those conversations with your partner, uh, understanding, you know, the history between, you know, the two of you testing is important, all those things to, to keep yourself safe and not put your genitals in harm's way. Hey Mitch. So I'm thinking I'm, I'm trying to hark back and mm-hmm. oh boy, it's a, it's a long hark, uh, to when I was single and perhaps, uh-huh. you know, had, more than one partner over the course of my life. Sure. Uh, how do you even have that conversation? I never had that conversation once. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess uh, within like the LGBT community in particular, my experience has been it's pretty top of mind. And, you know, uh, we might get talking about HIV transmission um, today, but really like there is an importance in that community to make sure everyone is healthy, right? On some of the dating apps like your HIV status and your testing last testing date are on the profiles. So not only do you see pictures and descriptions of the people, you also know what their sexual health is like. It is such a major cultural part of that particular community. But that being said, there are people that you come across that are like shocked when I say things like, hey, so, you know, things are going well, right? Uh, just wondering, like, when was the last time you were tested, right? Uh, can I ask about your sexual health? Or am I the only, you know, am, are we monogamous? Are we monogamish? Like, what is our situation? Are you having sex with sexual contact with other people? Like, it's, I think from the get go, like, it's a, it's a conversation that, you know, if, if you do, if you want to keep your genitals out of harm's way and you want to have healthy partners and make it a positive type of interaction, like you should probably be able to have those conversations. And I know they're awkward sometimes and I know it can kill a mood and I know all of those things. And, but for me, like if someone isn't receptive to those, it worries me. It's a red flag, right? If, if I ask these questions and you're not willing to answer, or if my partner asks me and, you know, I don't feel 100% forthcoming, like, why am I having sex with this person? But that's, that's just me. So I agree. I have a lot of those conversations with individuals. And I think, uh, Scott, you know, 20 years ago, I don't think that the climate may have been as easy to have those conversations. But I think given the rise of sexually transmitted infections, HIV, all of those things. These are conversations that people need to have with their partners and that their partners deserve to be had. Um, I think Mitch is is very smart uh, to have those conversations and make that the forefront because, again, if those people don't care about your sexual health, why would you want to have that uh, intimate relationship with them given that, you know, a lot of these things do have, you know, consequences long term? It's kind of crazy, really, isn't it? Like sex is such an intimate thing, but then, you know, I don't know, maybe like you said, the newer generations less so, but you know, there's always this kind of not wanting to talk about it. Like, (laughs) why wouldn't you? It's just so weird. Mm -hmm. Um, So you, you'd mentioned something like it's a different climate that people are talking about it. Are there more sexually transmitted diseases out there now than there were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? I don't know that there's more. I think that as you see more of these 
super bugs. As you hear the buzzwords, you know, they're super bugs, but you know, they're multi-drug resistant. Um, if you go to the CDC's website, there's a, a great little video that's like three or four minutes on the rise of resistant gonorrhea, which is, I think, you know, where we started. You, you have, you know, a million cases of gonorrhea every year, uh, in the United States. And, you know, over the course since, you know, the early, the sixties and seventies, we were using penicillin and then that became resistant. And then we started using fluoroquinolones. Um, and by the, by the mid nineties, those were becoming resistant. And in the year 2000, we stopped using those in, in Asia in 2002, they stopped using fluoroquinolones in California. And then by 2000 and five, we had widespread resistance to it. And now we're on to an IM cephalosporin drug and a second drug to try to decrease the resistance patterns to it. And I think anybody who doesn't think that these things are serious is kidding themselves. Um, I don't mean to get a super serious tone, but I think that that's the reason these conversations are so important. And that's why I think Mitch is so smart to to have those conversations and want to have those conversations. Because once we create multi-drug resistance to these bacteria, we don't have much else we can do because we're not making a ton of new antibiotics. And I guess the perception, I guess I knew, I guess I have two sentences of things I knew uh, that most of the time, most of those diseases can be kind of knocked out with a pill or a shot if they're caught early on, but that's becoming not quite so much the case. Exactly. I mean, still with, with gonorrhea, it's still a shot of uh, ceftriaxone and then either doxycycline uh, or azithromycin, um, usually a nice heavy dose to, to help you kick it. And then, you know, syphilis is seeing antibiotic resistance. You've got, you know, uh, chlamydia has some antibiotic resistance forming, but, you know, there's still good treatments for them. But at some point, if we're not smart about it, um, and we continue these patterns, it's not going to look good in the future. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you mentioned, John, just I think back over my career and the way I used to treat these diseases, gonorrhea and chlamydia in particular, and just how much that has changed. Where you used to send people home with a couple pills or they take them in the ER, it's like, okay, you're good to go. Now we're giving larger and larger doses of antibiotics as a shot and longer courses of antibiotics that they take at home. So I've clearly seen that just in the course, you know, just in my career in medicine. I mean, I think Troy said he doesn't see as many STDs in Utah and, 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 uh, where we're located, we are below the national average. We're about 50% of the national average for cases of gonorrhea and a little bit higher than that for chlamydia. Um, and the, the most recent data we have is from 2020. Um, there were 3000 cases of chlamydia in, in Utah and, uh, Salt Lake County is almost at the national average. And then you've got gonorrhea cases. We're at a thousand HIV cases in Utah were said to be about 28. Um, and then there's a bunch of other diseases like syphilis had 33 or 35 cases. And so, you know, national averages is double, uh, most of those numbers, if not a little bit more. Hmm. Um, so we do have a problem in Utah. We just don't have, uh, we don't see as much of it as maybe other parts of the country. And if an individual gets an STD and doesn't get to it in time or the treatments don't work, what kind of sort of gnarly things can happen? Now, this is where Mitch could probably describe some of the photos, I suppose. I don't know, but safe search on go Google them on yourself, like <laughs> listeners, everyone else. Just do yourself a favor and then you'll just you'll always use a condom. I promise. All right. Uh, Dr. Smith, do you have words that you'd like to put to that? <laughs> I have no words for that. I think if you see it, you'll it'll it'll uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, but I think that, you know, there are consequences 
uh, to these things. They can cause infertility, especially uh, in in female uh, partners. Um, you know, you can have uh, other other issues, rashes, fevers. Um, you know, brain, heart, and liver damage with syphilis. It can, you can get tertiary syphilis, which causes dementia. Um, those are the long-term consequences if you were to not do anything um, with, say, syphilis. Um, gonorrhea and chlamydia, less problems long-term, um, other than you're going to be giving it to any other partners that you're with, which is kind of irresponsible and rude. After you're treated, are, are there lingering effects that you can have from any of those? Well, if syphilis has already hit secondary or tertiary, you know, you, sometimes there's longer treatment okay. uh, times, but most of the time just getting treated, you may still have some urinary symptoms for a short duration. Um, but usually things clear up for the most part. So I guess one of the other things I kind of wanted to talk about as we kind of wrap up this is when we talk about prevention, like there's sometimes some really... I don't know, some strange ways that people think that it might help prevent things, you know, and it seems all, um, to me at least always to like work around like condom use. But uh, Dr. Smith, like, is there any is there any validity to say, you know, washing yourself after sex? Does that help prevent, you know, sexually transmitted diseases from going from one person or another? Or is it condoms and like, I guess, correct condom use that we really should be, you know, championing? I think if we're going to champion something, it's got to be the correct use of a condom, putting them on the right way. If you go to put on a condom, you put it on upside down, throw it in the garbage, put on a new condom, do it smart. They're not that expensive. Let's get serious. Um, (laughs) and especially if, you know, if there's a chance you could, you could end up with a, with something big, bad and, and not fun. Um, as far as washing goes, I haven't seen any literature that specifically gives a robust, like, Hey, if you go home and, and scrub your genitals with Hibiclens for five minutes, you're decreasing your risk. If you had, you know, um, unprotected intercourse. Um, I think that's where, um, you know, some of the medications that are out there for, you know, prevention, uh, after the fact, uh, come into play. Um, I'm happy to look into that and get back to you on another episode if that's a, a real thing. But I think if we're going to champion something, it's, um, you know, use a condom, be smart, keep your genitals out of harm's way, um, would be kind of my 10 cents. How often does improper use actually cause somebody to get an STD? I mean, you kind of brush by very quickly, like what you should do. Is Are there a lot of steps to, to use it properly for STD prevention? No, I mean, it only rolls one way. Yeah. Uh, if, you've, if, you've, if you've never put on a condom and you try to roll it on the opposite way that it's supposed to go. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, and there's there's any chance. I mean, why would you take a chance? Um, is it like a coverage thing? Is it a, I mean, what what is, what's the well, difference it, between proper and improper use for, you know, preventing STDs with condoms? Well, so putting on a condom that's the correct size, um, number one. Uh, number two, never put on a second um, condom. The friction will break both of them. Oh. Um, so double gloving is not recommended. Yeah, double double bagging is not a good idea. And and the right size is so it doesn't come off during, right? Is Correct. That right? Okay. Correct, yeah. Um, and if there is a mishap during, um, during intercourse, you know, replacing with a fresh condom um, or just – ending that, uh, that intercourse, uh, episode, um, you know, just being smart in that way. Um, looking at some of the, uh, spermicidal things, things like that people use, they may not look at it, may degrade, um, the condom. Those are less and less likely to occur nowadays. Um, cause most everything is, is safe to be used with latex condoms. Um, 
knowing that some people who say I have a latex allergy, there's other things out there like lambskin condoms. Those are not foolproof for preventing STDs. Um, so do not, do not, they'll, they'll prevent, they'll, they'll prevent pregnancy, but they're not going to, you know, I mean, you're, you're washing that thing afterwards and, oh. and reusing it. Um, if you've never seen one of those, um, you can Google that too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're, they're not super common, but I have had patients ask me about them because okay. their partners have been allergic to, to uh, latex. Mm-hmm. Um, there are non-latex condoms out there as well. And so those are, those are things just to keep in mind. All right. Well, I think we're at a position where we can wrap this up. Hopefully the point has been made that this is something that uh, men should be aware of, not only for their own health, but you know, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be spreading this stuff around. Like Dr. Smith said earlier, it's just kind of irresponsible and not cool. So uh, any particular takeaways, any insights? I, I have a feeling I'm probably the one that learned the most, but let's start with Mitch. It's interesting to me when I was doing some of this research was just coming across some of the like most common questions. Like there are blank spots for men, I think, in, you know, I, I think what we're mostly told is, you know, put a slicker on and you'll be fine, right? When it's really like, oh man, there's there's more that needs to be thought about and talked about. And it just, I was very... I was shocked at just some of the like misinformation and lack of education that some guys have had. And then we just don't talk about it ever again. And so we carry on not knowing what we could be exposing ourselves, our partners to and uh, how to be safe. So, Troy. Well, I think the things Mitch talked about with testing were really eye opening because I think a lot of people aren't doing that, I'm sure. And my recommendation and my thought, and Mitch, correct me if I'm wrong, would be if, if you've listened to this and you're thinking, wow, I really should be doing that and I should be getting tested, I think you can just call the health department, mm-hmm. your county health department, head right down. They can do the testing for you. Mm-hmm. And I think exactly like you said, Mitch, if you're getting tested regularly, if you're having multiple partners, that's something that you really should be doing. I learned that I was lucky because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never had one. Sure. Uh, although I guess I was practicing some safe practices, uh, you know, throughout my, my wild oats sowing period. So, um, that's good. I think the talking thing, that's, that would be difficult. Um, but I can see how that would be definitely be valuable. Um, and I guess my biggest takeaway is I'm glad I'm not out there and have to have to worry about this as much as some people might. Right. Cause it sounds kind of scary. Super gonorrhea does not sound super fun. No, you know what I'm saying. no, not at all. Uh, Dr. Smith, uh, any last thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we sign off? No, I think we've, we've covered it. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing is just be smart. And maybe educate yourself. Maybe you, you need to go surf a couple reputable websites and learn what safe practices are and safe behaviors are in addition to what you've done here and just protect yourself. Be safe, be smart. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We do appreciate it. If you have any questions, you can always direct those to hello at thescoperadio.com. Thank you for listening and thank you for caring about men's health.